Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. However, wherever, whenever you're listening, this is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 34 from the Riverwood Gallery and you mean your true value studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm Eric Fisher, the Big E, joined in person by Ramsey Thompson. Ramsey, What's how you doing, buddy? On? Yeah, I'm doing okay. That's it good. It's it good. It's a Monday. You know who's back? Who? Justin's back. Who's that? I, I do. I almost had to. Like I almost had to Google him. He's been gone. The so man long. is back, baby. The man is back. I'm back in the saddle. I'm ready to go. I listened to the episode last week. You guys did a great job. But the fans have spoken. They said we got to get Justin back because it, because when Justin's on the episode, it just takes it right over the top. So we got to get Coach Dahl back. He, he's uh he's got a little window here where, where football's off. He's got two weeks, August 9th, we get to go. We got to get him back. He's on. Let's do this thing, guys. All right, that's enough energy for me. I'm, I'm ready to go. That was that was good energy. That, that was, was good stuff, Jonathan. You're on fire today, <laughs> so let's, let's keep it rolling. Uh, a little bit of business to take care of. First of all, congratulations to Megan for winning our David Bakhtiari jersey. Yeah. And for the record, I, I got to state, I did not fix the drawing. Looked a little fishy. I dropped I it. Somebody, I had read it. I read it I as I picked it said, and dropped it. I heard somebody said that you had put like what did you say there were 70 what? 75. There? 75 entrants. I heard somebody had said that there were 75 pieces of paper in that thing that said Megan on it. I can I still have the pieces of paper. They're they're sitting in the closet of the studio. So if yeah, you wanted... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you who it is, but it sounded fishy to me. So I w- I'm just for the fans, I'm glad you clarified. Like I said, I, I wanted to clarify. I picked it, I read the name, and then it slipped out of my fingers because it was a slippery little thing. And I I That's... was able to have the muscle memory of where it was and the name <laughs> oh that it was. Christ. And pulled through for our fans. So full disclosure, not fixed. Legitimate. Uh, piece of business number you two. Said, Jesus. Piece of business number fix and slippery little thing in, in one sentence. Eric, right. you got to stop. You got you to gotta turn this thing around right now. It's on downhill slide. We got to. This show is awful the way it is. I mean, <laughs> you gotta, we you might gotta as well. We might as well just start at if the If we're starting. <laughs> Holy Christ. Sorry, my, my vocabulary is a little too elaborate for you, uh, Justin. My bad. It's on me. I, I, I'm showing my 35-year-old maturity level right Who's now. Justin? Sorry, guys. Let's go. Cut this out. No, no. This will stay. This will stay. <laughs> so anyway, so piece of business number two, our friends over at Ray's Energy and Monkey Knife Fight. Got to give them another shout-out. Play along with the contest. Plenty of stuff to do there. Uh, baseball, golf, you name it. There's something like for everybody there. If you're into e-gaming, League of Legends, they've got stuff going on there. So NASCAR, it's all there. We could on e-gaming? You can. That's amazing. But yes, Ramsey, you can play the contest for, for e-gaming. That's amazing. Right? I, I, I haven't played one. I haven't even looked at it myself for that one. I've been a little kind of just like terrified too. I like that you could um, play all sorts of different games on Monkey Night Fight. Yeah, definitely. So Monkey Night Fight and then... Our friends over at Ray's Energy, Rep Sports, new flavor, the Skittles flavor. I have not yet tried it, but I'm really excited to. I've got a shipment coming in in the upcoming days. So if you're like me and you want to try it, use your code ROOT4, R-O-O-T, number four, on repsports.com. 
for 15% off your order. And while you're there, you know, they have plenty of incentives. If you spend X amount, you usually get something free. Last order I had, I got a free shaker bottle. So can't complain about that. I think I got free stickers last time I ordered from them. Yeah. Can't complain about a single thing there. So with that, we go right into the meat of the episode. This is sponsored by Fanatics. Fanatics, show the love for your team. Get your Bucks gear. Bucks hat. I was wearing it the other day. Wore it down to Milwaukee. And I'll get to that in here in just a couple seconds. Uh, over the weekend. Show the love for your team. Did you get your polo yet, Ramsey? The polo will be here over the weekend. Perfect. So, show your love for the Bucks. Packer season coming up. Brewer season right in the middle of it. Root for your team. Show your love for your team. Whether you're at the top of the world or in the middle of a rebuild. Hashtag love on. Sponsored by Fanatics. We'd start off with what we had rooted for this last week. And if I may, if I may, if I may, I'd like to go first here. Go ahead. So, this weekend, Saturday specifically, I was down in Milwaukee. Went to the zoo, went and watched some wrestling, uh, got some dinner Saturday. Milwaukee, two weeks out, is still going nuts for the Bucks. So first, like I said, had my championship hat on, had just like a regular Bucks t-shirt on. Everywhere at the zoo, I was getting compliments on the hat. Bucks and six, every single place. I looked at... Shauna and Carolyn, two people we were, uh, my girlfriend and uh, my buddy Sean's fiance that we were down there with. And I'm like, is this what you guys feel all the time? Like people just complimenting you on stuff? I felt so awesome. Just the Bucks energy going on down in Milwaukee. Then at the WWE Super Show, WWE legend, and now officially once again a Milwaukee Buck, Bobby Portis came out yeah. and was part of the show. Bobby Portis signed a, or agreed to, did not sign technically, a two-year, $9 million deal to re-up with the Bucks. Coming back over offers, I believe from the Lakers were interested, the Heat were interested in the Mavericks. Maybe not the Lakers, but the Heat and the Mavericks are for sure in on Bobby Portis. He stays in Milwaukee. The man of the people, Bobby Portis, hanging out with the New Day. Bucks and six chance everywhere. He's got that WWE belt, the Triple H sends all the championship teams. I don't think he's let it go. I was about to say, I don't think he's put that down. I, I see him on uh, the social medias floating about, and I've not seen him without that belt. He wanted a piece of Bobby Lashley. He was going to go after it. It was going to be Bobby versus Bobby. but I got money on Bobby. Me too. But So they were hanging out. He was hanging out the New Day. And good old time in Milwaukee. Like I said, places bucks crazy. And that's awesome. Like I said, you're just walking around. You're walking around the Deer District. They've still got like the championship on the serve. Uh, that banner they put out, just awesome stuff down there. So that's rooting for the city of Milwaukee just to keep up the energy. It's been awesome. Uh, Justin, you haven't been here in a while. What did you root for this last month? Month? I missed one week, Eric. Two weeks. One week. It's been, a, it's been at least two weeks. Months. Maybe it's been a month. Maybe it's, been, it's been probably three months. No, we did, a, we did an episode. Oh, yeah, we did the, the special. You're right. Yeah, I was there for that, so shut it. It's been at least two months. All right. At least. <laughs> Uh, what I rooted for, honestly, it, it was, uh, it, this is going to sound so corny because I didn't really root for much in the sports world. It's not really, um, after the Bucks won, uh, the sports world's not really uh, much for the liking here. But uh, I'll, I'll kind of piggyback of what you guys um, talked a little bit about last week. But the the transparency and the answers and and the and and really the direction of of finally getting the answer out of Aaron Rodgers 
and, and where and where his heart lies and, and what the what the true problem was and not these these fake uh crappy um source reports from Adam Schefter that were part true part not true so to to really see that 32 uh minute interview that happened over over the time here was was I thought a positive thing not only for Aaron Rodgers but for the Packers to, to kind of really awaken themselves and, and see what what they could do better down the road because undoubtedly long after Aaron Rodgers is gone um they still have some future stars they need to sign and and that they need to learn that maybe we could do things better with these guys and we can learn from this experience and uh hopefully that it uh kind of has changed Aaron's heart into maybe uh thinking about retiring as a packer and if not he's had a great career but you know that's neither here nor there i think the positivity of of the message that he sent, um, there were some some slight major digs at at the organization in which the organization probably deserved. Um, some of it he came off as conceited, but he's kind of earned the right to do that. So that's kind of what I rooted for, guys. Like it, the the drama of it is finally over. We know what the answers are, and we know where we're going tomorrow so the finality of the aaron draw aaron Rodgers drama is over yeah i think we can talk more about that in a little bit uh deeper in the episode because we got some packers talk here for you guys so we'll go right to ramsey what do you root for here uh nothing nothing you know honestly i've since the end of the finals i've been kind of just taking a hiatus from sports for a little bit like i keep track of like free agency and what's on the Packers and stuff but I don't think I've watched live sports in two weeks. Coming back with, well, <laughs> I don't really count baseball as a sport. Oh, but. come on. Come on. You were so positive on it last week. You're the one that pointed it out. Come on. No, I, I have been. I've been following a little bit of baseball. Like I said, baby steps. Baby Big steps. Growth. Absolutely the minimal baseball I've been following. All right. Well, I'll still count it. I'll count it. Ramsey's rooting for baseball. You heard it here first. Rooting for baseball. Rooting for something <laughs> interesting to happen. So we go from the positives into the negatives, and Tyler Hero Nogi the week time. And what you guys want to go first? Cause I went first with the the root for. Who wants to go first here? I got one. I um, will. Oh, oh fine, Justin. Ramsey. No, I don't even want to go first. Okay, I will go first because mine's gonna piggyback a little bit again off of what you guys talked about last week. My noogie is is to Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big Twelve, for being blindsided and not uh seeing what could possibly happen in in being cheated on by texas and oklahoma to allow them to basically cheat on you and go to the sec and and not thinking that greg sankey of of the sec is smarter than you he not only played you twice but he stole everything from you he, you know, he, uh, he, he got your vote for playoff expansion and then he took your top two teams. He, he pretty much g- took your middle finger and stuck it up your butt for you. 
And, and so I, I, I think he deserves about the biggest noogie of the week. This might be a dumpster fire of the year because it's probably going to cost eight other schools a direction and probably um, four or five other schools uh, a power five conference spot. So it, it's just a huge blunder, and he deserves it big time. Is that really a bad thing, though? I mean, Kansas has been kind of a joke in football for the last decade. So has, I mean, a lot of these other schools. Like, it's not Texas and Oklahoma's fault. Those teams have been poorly ran for 10 years. Is it a bad thing? It certainly is a bad I mean, there are eight other schools that are telling you it's a, dramatically it's a bad thing. Well, it's maybe. a bad the, – the SEC going to 16 teams first. They're going to – they're going to market with the first super conference. So they have, they have the litter of the picking um, of what type of contract that might not be necessarily bad for the big 10, but the big 10 needs to catch up fast. Um, And now that the two biggest teams that you had been potentially flirting with to add are gone to your biggest rival. So, um, what can you do to to be more marketable with Fox than what SEC is with ESPN? So it's it's an arms race right now, and that's uh, that's that's it, it's and it's all Bob Bowlesby for sleeping at the wheel. To be honest with you, so we talked about this last week pretty in depth, and if you want to go check that out, episode thirty three is the spot to do it. But I'm just going to ask you quick, Justin, in terms of the Big Ten. Who do you think they look to maybe recruit into their side to make kind of even this thing out? Like, who's a realistic fit for the Big Ten? Well, so you guys touched on it last week, but where you failed, you, you said some of the ACC schools. Unfortunately, the ACC schools are a tough get because their TV contract rights uh, through the conference go to 2036. And that even includes Notre Dame. Um, and so you guys talked a little bit, I just want to touch on this. You guys even talked a little bit about Longhorn Network last week about whether they're going to continue that or not. They will, uh, continue that, but just like with the big 12, they tier their sports. So tier one and tier two, obviously football and basketball, those belong to the conference. This is why you never, you'll never watch, uh, a Texas football game on Longhorn Network. Not a live so one anyway. Some, right. Um, but who did they could get? Uh, I think realistically, um, if the big, big 10 wanted to fork out some money big time, they could attack a, school, a couple schools like North Carolina, Clemson, and Florida State, but you're going to have to pony up a hell of a lot of money, and you're talking about the third the third highest pay rate per any conference on TV deals. The realistic one for me and who I would, if I were Warren and I was the big 10 commissioner that I would attack, uh, I I'm going out to probably the most profitable um, school that does not deal with athletics and that's Oregon and their Nike contact and, and contracts and, and what that could do for the conference. And then I'm either going after Stanford or USC. Uh, brand name 
Stanford, obviously, because of the high quality academics that match with the Big Ten, uh, their, their touch with the Rose Bowl um, and what that means out in California. And UFC and USC, obviously, because of of what they mean to the Rose Bowl and their brand as as one of the top uh, selling apparel uh, brand teams out there. They're one, you know, they're one. They're a high recruiting school that is one good head coach away from uh, really turning it around. So those would be the two schools. But there's talks. That I I mean just following this that there's talks so dramatic about what what could happen between the big 10 and the in the uh pac 12 a merger two different conferences a super conference made out of those two conferences and then like a b conference so it's it's wild it's so interesting to me but those would be the teams that i'd attack if you're just going after two well in my opinion if i am Ohio State, I'm getting out of the Big Ten as fast as I possibly can. I I I can hear you say that, but I, I forewarn you that the Big Ten paid every school nine million dollars more than any other conference. Sure. They paid their schools fifty-four million dollars and the projection and the projection of what the SEC with the new contract could pay is like sixty-five. So if if the Big Ten jumps at two of those bigger schools that I had mentioned above, and Fox, uh, with all the money they have, can can kind of jump and compete with it. And if you're Ohio State, why? Because you can why make, would you jump to that? You can why make would more money to... by yourself. Ohio State can make that money back by themselves. Ohio State's the big revenue getter in the Big Ten right now. And I think it kind of goes back to the same thing I was saying about the Big 12 was that we are talking about two teams are making all the money and then having to share the money with everybody else. That's kind of how Ohio State is in the Big 10 is that Ohio State's pulling in the majority of the revenue and then having to split it with everyone else. So I, like if it's me and I'm a, the athletic, uh, athletic, director. athletic director at Ohio State, I'm saying hey, I'm making the money here. Why am I splitting profit sharing with everyone else? Well, one is you could you could say that, but there's arguments against that. And we'll get to that in a little bit, right? Uh, in, and, and I would say in any conference, if we're talking about if you make it to a BCS bowl or bowl wins, they all share their, their money likewise. If, so um, what I'm kind of more getting at is the fact that if I was Ohio State, I go independent like Notre Dame's been. Ohio State's a big you, enough. Ohio State is a big enough brand at this point, and the Big Ten would simp for Ohio State and definitely let them play a Big Ten schedule. Still, you're out. You're out, You're also banking on a a big time network that is going to sign an exclusive contract with you, like Notre Dame has been. Oh, that would happen. So I mean, I, I mean, there's that. But then you also have to have a special built-in um, agreement with the college football playoff. And then you have to go and find opponents. And that wouldn't be hard. The thing about, the thing about Notre Dame is, is they play a relatively strong um, season opponent list. You know, and, and they're global. 
I'm not, not really no. state state wise. They play USC and Clemson. Those are the only two big games of their season. Michigan, Michigan's been a dumpster fire. Michigan State's been a dumpster fire. I mean, that's I'm saying Ohio State's as bigger brand today as Notre Dame is. Ohio State's better in football than Notre Dame is. They're athletic. no doubt about it. So that's what I'm saying. If Notre Dame can do it, so can Ohio State. But what I don't, I I still don't follow because they they have an easier path to a college football playoff. And they make and guarantee themselves the amount of money they can make in the Big Ten. And they can guarantee that for probably another 12 years. I, I guess that's my point is they would be foolish to leave because their projections are telling, telling you they could make possibly $70 million a year off of TV contracts through Fox and the Big Ten. All right, Ramsey, you're in a game of the week? Uh, the Formula One series this week. So Sebastian Vettel Ooh. finished second in the Hungarian Grand Prix over the weekend. Mm-hmm. He was disqualified because he did not have enough fuel in his tank that they could test the fuel. And I'm like, that's some bullshit. Like, the car finished second, and it passed inspection other than the fuel, and you're not putting specialized fuel in these cars. So you just disqualified him because he didn't have enough fuel in his tank for you to test. I don't that's know. That's weak. That's, that's weak. I, I'm Formula One in general is kind of bullshit, but that's not here nor there. And I know I'm not going to too long with it on that, but that's just kind of a niche topic Ooh. that I was kind of a little pissed off about when I woke up this morning. I'm like, or Sunday morning, saw that. I'm like, ah, that's ridiculous, isn't it? I wonder how they would test it, like. It's just like NASCAR. Oh, they go through a post-race inspection, so they take all the cars and basically pull them all apart and test all the pieces and test all the fluids and everything. So what happened was there wasn't enough fuel left in the car for them to be able to pull an accurate test. So they disqualified him from a second-place finish, which in Formula One for Aston Martin, who Sebastian Vettel drives for, is... They're not a new team to Formula One, but they're it's kind of a new brand. It's kind of a rebrand this year of what Aston Martin's been doing. So mm-hmm. when you have a really good run in Formula One, it's a podium finish, right? So top three, that's what they celebrate. So finishing second for that team is pretty much a win. And it's kind of considered a win. And then for you to disqualify a team and kill all their momentum because they didn't have enough fuel in the car just seems just not okay to me. So I, that would be my no of the week. I would get up, watch Formula One. It's something completely different from what we're used to. Mm-hmm. They truly have the best drivers in the world over there. And that they do stuff that nobody else on the planet could do. Like you as an average person could not get in a Formula One car and drive it. Like it's incredibly difficult they're going through like x amount of g's per every corner it's like them and fighter pilots and astronauts yeah that's what they're they're basically fighter pilots that's kind of the comparison and they're basically hopping in cars that are just the cutting bleeding edge of technology so that's my little stint go check out some formula one racing it's something that if you want to see the truly the best drivers in the world that's what you got turned into yeah definitely so my nugget of the week is going to be the U.S. women's soccer team. 
about time someone said it. And I am all for athletes taking a stand for things they believe in. Not this is not the the argument that I'm having here. Per se. Um it's I don't think it's personally I don't think it's a good luck when you're playing for your country and in the Olympics and in international games and and protesting your country that you're representing. I get what they're doing um is important to a lot of people. So I'm, I'm not diminishing that. Um I'm all for their their argument for that they should be paid as much if not more than the men's team that they are more successful than. But if you're going to do that, you have to back it up on the biggest stages. And they're going to play for the bronze medal. They have looked terrible this Olympics. And I think, well, they've looked old. Right. They've and that's looked slow. They've looked. That's kind of what I was going to say here. This is, this is strictly on the game itself. The U.S. women's soccer team has been the most dominant force in, in women's soccer in the world. Well, in sports, really. I mean, for the last. Last ten, almost well, no, even further than that. Really, the last twenty years, the women's probably twenty five years, because you can go back to like nineteen ninety four. You can point to the U.S. women's sports and U.S. women's soccer as one of the most dominant forces in all of the world, as a global sports dynasty. Well, they lose a match what every once every. Four or five years it's been, basically. In group play and things like yeah. that. I mean, they'll lose. Like, they, they lost one of the World Cups or one of the Olympics um, like for the gold medal. They got a silver. Or they finished second in one of the World Cups. But they're still the class of women's soccer. Yeah, it's not really close either. That's the, It's like them, Japan, and Canada are all pretty close. But just like a thing or two missing. So... Like I said, I just I think the run's kind of over. I mean, you need to hit reset every once in a while too. So this is maybe this is a good thing, kind of like what maybe USA Basketball's at. But just I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of piggyback on that what we were talking about last week. Just the this run that both really, if you look at US men US men's basketball and US women's soccer, kind of equivalent to just how historically good both programs have been, basically forever. And just like I said, just it, it looks like it's needing to hit reset and need to get a new crop of players as a whole. And well, they have the new crop, correct? They just those are the players that were left at home on this trip. From what I was, what I've been told, I guess I don't really. Um. Yes and no. Uh, the the men's team more specifically is kind of on like the U.S. men's soccer team. It's kind of on that. Because they're prepping for the World Cup, correct? Well, there's a lot of guys who are still playing for their club teams in Europe. So, like, this team, the U.S. men's team that won the Gold Cup, Gold Cup last night was, like, the C-squad right. of the U.S. men's program. Because um, the, the men's team was not Olympics eligible. They were not in the last World Cup. But they're actually, like, legitimate favorites to possibly win 2022. Uh, and in Qatar. So they do have a really good build going on there. But this U.S. women's team, um, I mean, I'm sure there was some people who who didn't make this trip. And in different elements, like women's soccer is such, and women's sports as a whole is just such a different animal because, like, Alex Morgan 
had a baby within this last calendar year. Right. And she's back in the on the team, but still, I mean, and granted, she put you know you know she puts her workouts out and she's worked her ass off to get back. It's still just a different animal of sport, and like my hat goes off to them being able to come back from that kind of thing, like, and and competing at the highest level in the world. But like I said, I just I think this kind of this current run they've been on is over. Um, they had a chance to be the first reigning World Cup champion to win the Olympic gold, and they fell short. But like I said, they just they haven't looked. And play that U.S. women's style soccer either. And I'm not even a huge soccer nerd. I know enough to get by. But they look slow. They do. And, they look and slow. And so that's where my Nuggie of the Week kind of comes in here. Um, like so just The run's over. Same with, I, th- I kind of think the U.S. men's basketball team's run is, as it is right now. Needs to kind of re- rebuild and rebrand. Well, the thing with the U.S. men's basketball team is that they didn't send their best players. Like, they, JaVel McGee's on the team. Like, Right. A lot of the guys, how the last 18 months has played out for the NBA that you really are getting, that's kind of their B squad. Their B plus squad. Yeah. I mean, they're, the LeBrons of the world aren't there. Anthony Davis didn't show up. Steph Curry didn't opt it out. I mean, James Harden didn't go. Kyrie right. didn't go. KD is there, but. But kind of just a shell of himself. He played well, what, last night or two nights ago? Nights ago, yeah. It's weird because the Olympics are on like when I'm sleeping. So, right. but yeah. Justin, thoughts on U.S. national men's basketball and women's soccer? Well, I'll tell you what. It's it's kind of interesting. You can tell that the the style of basketball um, is is catching up to the talent of what the America teams have. Um, held that advantage over the last 20, 30 years. The physicality, the the actual play, you could tell that this style of basketball is more pure basketball. As a, as a former basketball coach myself, uh, understanding what we as fans really want to watch if you're a traditionalist um, in true basketball, that the FIBA format it is is catching up to what the the advantage in talent that America has had over the rest of the field over the last thirty years. So uh, I think it's a different it, it's different for the Americans and they're adapting to it. And we'll see because they got a big one coming up against Spain, uh, one they really got to have. So we're getting into the nitty gritty with the quarterfinals and. Let's see if they can squeak it out. So just to piggyback off that, I mean, the the style of play that's international right now is traditional basketball. And the style of play in the NBA is... Iso hero ball. Iso ball, get your best player and get a bucket. And that's how the rules have been adapted in the NBA is to allow these guys to get real ticky-tack kind of cheap fouls and go to the free-throw line. And that's probably the biggest difference in international play right now to what is going on in the NBA is that these guys are used to getting these fouls, getting to the line, shooting 11 free-throws a night, and those fouls aren't being called in international play. 
So it's just kind of one of the things that like, I prefer this style of basketball personally. 100%. Because it allow it takes some of the athletic ability. It neutralizes that. It neutralizes I mean, it just a fuzz and allows fundamental basketball to prevail. Prevail. And, and you know, the really interesting thing is, like, when you watch these games that the U.S. are playing, like, they're playing against guys who haven't played in the league in five years and are playing for their country and, and uh, like, they're 37 years old and, and just draining threes and that's all that they do. And they play a little bit of pick and roll ball and it works somehow. But that's so cool to watch, too. Well, and Luca's been going off, too. I think he had, what, 47 points the other night? Something like that, yeah. So it's always good to see those guys play well. I really like Luca. He's a stud. All right, so we got the Route 4. We got the Tyler Hero Nugget of the Week. We're going to take our Wisconsin round trip. little specialized topics we do. I'll start off with what's brewing. We haven't talked about Milwaukee Brewers yet. And pretty active uh, last, I don't know, seven days since we talked to Matt last. Uh, since we last talked to Matt, the Brewers had made a splash trade, acquiring all-star Eduardo Escobar from Arizona. Wait. You're not going to talk about the actual best trade that they made the whole way right away? That's not going to be your leadoff? I'm talking about the last the week. All, the all-time single-season saves leader Justin, in Brewers Justin, history? Justin, we're going chronologically here, buddy. Oh, chronologically. Okay. I, I get it. So uh, you're saving the best for last. Right. That's what you're doing. I got you. Okay. I'm sorry. Justin, are you a little bitter today? Yeah, we're, 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 no, we're, no, do you need a hug? I, think I, I can't you tell you guys how much I love this last trade. This last trade is, I think, I think Stern should get, you know, a 10-year extension for this trade. I think you should be my nugget of the week for hate on the Axford trade. Anyway. You ruined it! Yeah, come on, guys. Anyway. Anyway. So, <laughs> they go get their all-star, Eduardo Escobar. They get bullpen depth on deadline day. Uh, John Curtis, and Daniel Norris. And then as Justin so kindly mentioned, and Ramsey so kindly mentioned, today, uh, post-trade deadline, but they were able to do it because John Axler was not in the active roster, the active 40-man roster that you can carry. So they were... He was doing TV! He was earlier this year. He has pitched 10 innings um, of baseball this season, or 10 and two-thirds, I think. And has 14 strikeouts and has fastball range of 96 to 98 miles an hour. So what you're saying is a stud. So what I'm saying is he's still got it. The Axe Man. So the Axe Man is back in Milwaukee among a flurry of bullpen arm moves. And part of that being part of COVID. Part of that just being to build depth for the this haul for the last two months. Uh, Brewers went 5-1 and one last week. Playing just another just another week of excellent baseball, building towards that October run that we talked with Matt last week, and think they're very well capable of. So that is what is brewing. We go to wait, well, wait, hold wait, on. Wait, wait, okay, wait, okay. Wait, wait, we got we got to touch some bases here on this. You like how I did that? Touch some bases and in it, what's brewing segment. Yeah, it's That's a little less fun when you point it out, Justin. I have I have okay. something to say about okay. this too. Justin, go ahead. I have I, I have one question. Mm-hmm. I want to know how we, as a, as a bunch of analysts here, uh, 
feel about the the trade for what is it, Eduardo Escobar? Eduardo Escobar. Yeah. How do I, I want to kind of break that trade down because that's really the uh, the showstopper trade kind of for us, isn't it? It it's the biggest of the trade deadline deals for the Brewers. That is. So let's talk a little bit about the player himself. Yep. Right? What are his stats, Eric? So he hit his 23rd home run of the season on Friday night, his first with the Brewers. Uh, he okay. is hitting, I think, 240, I think. So it'll be a little better. Okay. Uh, his slash rate, which is like his, his on-base percentage is pretty high. Um, I'd have to get look, I have to look at exact stats on that, but um, slash is pretty good. The on base, the OPS, like I said, he he now leads the team yeah, in now, home runs. Now, now you're losing me with all that stuff. My question is, is what is before we traded for this guy? What is the type of player that you think or you would have thought a week ago that we would have needed to to kind of inject into the lineup? So Eduardo Escobar checks a lot of the boxes. That I know that we were all kind of well, me and Justin and and Matt when he was talking to us and Ramsey was listening along. So when we were all talking about the Brewers' uh, deadline needs, uh, it was kind of a, a a gratuitous like it was more they didn't necessarily you didn't necessarily need it, but it helps out a lot. And here's why. Which, okay. So Eduardo Escobar is a switch hitter. He's above average at getting on base. He's shown a lot of pop, which always helps. Like I said, he comes into the Brewers as the leader in home runs. He gets he's very good defensively. Um, he's played a lot of middle infield. He played first base for the first time when he played in his debut on Friday night with the Brewers. So lots of just a good depth move. And as Matt pointed out, it allows Luis Urias to kind of be your your stopgap infielder um, that can play. He can play second if he needs to for a day to give Colton Wong a break. He can play short for Willie Adams. The matchup's not favorable. He can play third when you have pay, face a lefty when you want to give Rowdy Telez a day off. He lets Keston here to go back to the minors, um, kind of focus on continuing to get himself right. And then you can have Luis Urias play third for the matchup against a left-handed pitcher. So just a good depth move um, for a guy who they really didn't give up anything. I mean, they gave up a prospect or two prospects. Neither one of them were in the top 30 for the team. Uh, Cooper Hummel is kind of the bigger name of the two. He was likely going to be off the roster as a Rule 5 draft pick this offseason because the team was not going to be in a position to protect him and put him on the 40-man roster. So it was a pretty good move um, to get rid of his, you know, spot in the in the organization. You feel a very good need, and at worst, you add another good bat with pop uh, to make that playoff push. Okay, so I'm going to tell you uh, my first glance after listening to you makes me feel a hell of a lot better about it. But at first glance, um, it looks like for us. As you know, Ramsey and I are. It looks like more of the same, right? It, it looks like a big bat that that really can just hit home runs. Uh, doesn't hit for average. Is a, a a run producer, not a run scorer, 
which arguably is probably what you are shooting for in in, in run score. Um, a little, what does this do to Jace Peterson? Um, it kind of negates his role a little bit, I would assume. It in, enhances Luis Urias, his role. Um, so I, I, I like it. I like it from the pure fact of the, the greatest part of what you just said was two prospects outside the top 30 within the organization. And I don't think that could be overstated how important that is in, in looking at this because he is just a rental, I'm assuming. Yeah, he, his contract is up after this year. Um, fairly friendly deal for the team. I believe it ends up working out to really only about $2.8 million the Brewers are on uh, responsible for this season. So all in all, like I said, just a very good uh, get for the Brewers. Like you said, like I said, shores up a lot of things offensively. Just kind of adds that that extra spot offensively, um, defensively, is an above average defender, which allows you to move around. Like so, you get to move around those guys a little bit more now too. Uh, so all in all, like I said, a very good trade for considering it was a rental. I mean, you saw it really across baseball as a whole. Um, not a whole lot of, I mean, you, you didn't see a whole lot of big prospects move considering how big of a frenzy the trade deadline ended up being across all of baseball. Uh, you saw some, I mean, you definitely saw some bigger prospects go, but nothing in the kind of what, as to what was maybe expected. And this was very on par with that. I think Ramsey had, had something to, to chime in here with, didn't you Rams? No, it was uh, way less in depth than what that was. So, well, let's, hear it, let's hear it. Let's nope. hear it. Let's hear no, it. I'm good. All right. Um, John Curtis is actually the one that. Pro, I mean, he he hasn't been the most popular guy because his first debut uh, did not go great against Atlanta on Saturday. Um, it did cost a very good prospect in Peyton Henry. Uh, he was a Triple A catcher. He, I think he was technically still on the thirty or the team's top thirty list. Don't we have two catchers on the main we have roster? Two on the main roster, and we've had four different guys play catcher on the main roster at one point this season. We definitely need a triple A guy then. If we have four guys, we don't know the, the. The nice thing is it's it's a very solid trade in terms of you have depth at a position, so you had room to spend it. Uh, Peyton Henry benefits from it because he gets to go to a team where he's probably likely to be an everyday catcher, a backup slash potentially everyday catcher, at least for this season. Uh, gets him to the majors at some point. Did you know us? I knew there was two catchers on the team. I, I did. We, uh, we had talked about that tonight. You're welcome. So is he a rental player too? Um, Curtis? Yeah. I'd have to double check. I don't. I think he's under control for at least next year. Okay. I'd have to double check on that. And, and who's the other guy they traded for? It was Daniel Norris. And Daniel Norris is a really interesting get to. Um, Daniel Norris is a lot like 2019 when they went and got Drew Pomeranz out of uh, San Francisco. Where so the he's num- definitely a red though. Yeah. Well, the numbers for for him, for Daniel Norris, are they're going to kind of make your eyes pop out. And like, why did we spend any time on this guy. He's got like a 5.62 ERA. But the intangible mm-hmm. or the intangibles and those further stats 
given how the Brewers develop pitching and how good they're pitching, I mean, between Derek Johnson, who now is with Cincinnati, and just every pitching coach I've really had has been just a phenomenal top to bottom in the organization. Pitching is one of their specialties. Um, so if you're talking about a guy who can turn it around and be kind of one of those special arms down the road, very good pickup. You didn't have to spend a lot to get him either. Well, to be honest, then we just need some innings eaters in the middle of the lineup. Yeah. Like, isn't that kind of just what the Brewers need at that point? They just need some guys. To, they need another, depth. They need depth Brent for Zuder. sixth inning, seventh just to inning, or, some innings out to let your bullpen rest a right. little bit and get your starters, you know, five six innings and move on with life. Pretty much. I mean, that's at the end of the day what's going to come down to. Um, like I said, the numbers on on paper when you first look at those those typical numbers aren't great. But when you look at some of those deeper numbers that Justin probably would get bored with, um, strikes out more than 30% of left-handed batters. Which is big, correct? That is monstrous. He... So, and, and really, if you look at his, his career trajectory, um, it's kind of one of those years where we talked about Matt, you know, with Jackie Bradley Jr. this year and, and Omar Narvaez last year where... Sometimes a guy just has a bad year, and all track in all, track record, right? Like track record is what what Matt Polly always says is what's what's the track record, right? Is that is that the term he used? That is the term he used. Excellent, excellent okay. uh, memory there, Justin. Um, so, so what's this dude's track record? Is he better in the second half of the season, or is he going to be awesome? Is he going to lead us to the World Series, Eric? Should I, I'm I'm going up to Sweetgrass tomorrow, right by the casino. Should I should I lay down a uh, a uh, twelve to one bet on the Brewers as a as a odds favorite? I I personally would, but Daniel Norris would not be the reason. Oh, okay. But I I would still put that money down if it was me. Well, but... now and now Daniel Norris sounds like we just wasted twelve minutes talking about Daniel Norris because. He's not going to win us the World Series. Way to go, Eric. Way to sell it. Well, it is what it is. So <laughs> that's our what's brewing with Eric. And then we go to the Badger Report with Justin. Going back to school. Justin, what do you got on the Badgers this week? Or last yeah, there's, weeks, not really? much, there's not much really uh, to come back and talk about. I do believe that they came out with a, a date to make up for the Notre Dame-Wisconsin game that was supposed to happen at Lambeau this past year. I believe they came up with that, and I'm probably, honestly, I think I'm wrong on this, but I think it's 2026 they came out with. Um, On top of that, as far as recruiting news, which we all love, there's not much um, going on. Uh, They extended a couple preferred walk-ons. No, no new commits. They're still kind of going after the big ones. Um, the official offers have went out, so so you could see kind of the kids celebrating on social media about their official offers, even the, the ones that are verbally committed. Um, on the basketball side, there's not much news going on there. They're recruiting hard. Uh, we could dive into that a little bit. They, they have not been very successful on that front in, in this cycle. Um, but I think that's more, more because of how many new faces they're going to have 
within the program this year. Um, but other than that, I'll tell you guys, not much. Uh, a little, a little note on the Badger report here. I saw an article that was posted uh, due to the uh, current realignment figures about the most athletic, profitable schools within college athletics, and Wisconsin came in at 13th on that list. The number I'm going to tell you is definitely wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was 83. To ninety million dollars in, in athletic profits uh, for the 2019-2020 season. So uh, that comes in thirteenth, with Texas coming in at one, well over a hundred million dollars. So that's all I got for you, boys, on, on that front. Uh, yeah, it, it's got to pick up soon because if we're, if I want to continue this little segment, I got to have something to talk about. I I can talk about recruits all day, but. We, we got to get some to come in. Come on, boys. Commit, commit, commit to our school. Let's go. All right. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, not Badger-related specifically, but um, that dude out of that's going to Ohio State to make his NIL money, thoughts on that? Quinn Ewers? Yeah. Yes. Isn't he the top-rated quarterback um, in the nation, though? Uh, of the junior class this year. So he's foregoing his senior season and going straight to Ohio State. Does that make sense, Remy? No, I, I follow him on Instagram. I know. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. When when you could talk, I mean, you're talking about an Alabama quarterback that's going to sign an NIL contract for a million dollars. You're going to see, you're going to, I think it's good and bad. I, I think it's, you know, it's a trickle down effect. You're going to see these kids try to leave school, high school early so they can make money, but you're going to see them stay in college longer because it's a shorter season. There's, there's harder caps on what coaches and programs can do. And in most college towns, you're the only show in town much like Green Bay is, or much like uh, Jacksonville probably is, you're the only show in town, so it, it, you can really make a good quick buck. You guys even touched base on it with the GB women in, in last week's episode, mm -hmm. you know, kind of being the hot ticket in town. Um, there's really an open suitcase there um, uh, for players if they can find the right deal to do it. And, and still, you know, kind of enjoy the college life and, and not go through all that professional um, anxiety and, or stress or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, it's really going to be game-changing. He, he's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think what really made his decision for him was, was that Alabama quarterback that was going to sign a million-dollar contract right off the bat. All right, good stuff. Ramsey's radar. Ramsey, two hot takes. I can't remember what you had last week. I know that one of them was really long term, um, so we weren't going to grade that one. I, I think probably... one of them was NASCAR. Yeah, one of them was NASCAR. About Hendrick uh, wasn't going to win the championship, and that yeah, um, the U.S. men were not going to win the gold medal. Right. So we really can't grade that quite yet. Um, anything in the upcoming week here you want to 
Not in the top of the week. I would hit on this that we haven't really talked about yet was the Russell Westbrook deal to the Los Angeles Lakers. And I think it's going to work. As much as I don't like Russell Westbrook, my hot take for today is the fact the Lakers are going to win a title next year with Russell Westbrook. All right. They, uh, the, the Lakers are or aren't they going are, to win a... They are going to win an NBA title next year with Russell Westbrook. Yeah. And I think that, like I said, I'm not a Russell Westbrook fan. I don't, I, I don't really get it myself. I guess I get it in the fact that I don't really think anything else is really on the table at this point. Bradley Beal didn't move. Uh, Damian Lillard hasn't really moved. I think we talked about this off air, but I think Russell Westbrook is a better 82-game player than Kyle Lowry is at this stage in their career. So those were kind of the big free agents that were on the table at this point. Um, so I think that it's going to work. I think that Russell Westbrook is going to be able to help carry that team through an 82-game season with Anthony Davis and LeBron. LeBron obviously being on the back nine of his career and Anthony Davis being unavailable at times. So I think having a player like Russell Westbrook is going to be able to carry you through some of those dog days of the season, you know, pre to after Christmas Day. Um, and I think they're going to be rested enough once playoff time comes that they're going to be a better team at that point. So, Mike, I got a quick question for you, man, Zim. Yeah. Uh, curiously, Kyle Lowry, Russell Westbrook, better playoff. Player. I think Kyle Lowry is the better playoff player. I think in a single game, if you had if you had to give me the choice, right? If we're sitting down and you're gonna say one game, who are you, what player you're taking? I'm probably gonna take Kyle Lowry. But that's not what Kyle Lowry through his career has been healthy, but has never been able to carry a team and fill stat numbers. And that's so that's what LA needs right now. So I LA needs that twenty point a night guy who is committed, who's gonna be there every night, who's gonna fill some stat lines, who's gonna be able to defend some of the athletic guards out west. And I, I just think like I said, I'm not a Russell Westbrook fan. I'm that's not the move I necessarily make today, but right. with what was available, I think that works. I was just interested in that because we've spent so much time on past episodes talking about all you have to really do is just make it to the show. And I was just really interested to say, to hear you say that, and it makes complete sense because, you know, those guys are probably, you know, LeBron and, and AD are, are probably playing, what, 60%, 70% of the schedule. So he can really carry him through. Well, I think what we're going to see... Uh, a regular season? I think we're going to see LeBron's minutes dip a little bit. So LeBron, traditionally speaking, has been playing 75-plus games a year. He There's usually an occasional he'll miss a game here or there with fill-in-the-blank on whatever it is. Like this past year was the high ankle sprain. And um back when he first got back to Cleveland, he took a little hiatus to Miami for a few weeks to get right. And so, but traditionally speaking, LeBron will play, you know, 75, 70 games for sure. 
Anthony Davis has been the real question mark going forward is that Anthony Davis is probably closer to that 60% of the games played mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. has been known to not be 100% committed. So mm-hmm. what the Lakers, I think, were looking for was a guy who's going to be able to play 82 games, 80 games. Like, and I think that's where Russell Westbrook comes in play is that he's going to be able to play, fill out 80 games. He's going to be able to carry the team when either LeBron or Anthony Davis is not on the floor. Your offense doesn't stop. Because that's what happened last year, even in the playoffs when you watch the Lakers, was that LeBron James would come off the floor and the offense would just stop existing. So I think that Russell Westbrook being there fills a need. I think it makes them weak in the fact that they don't really have a true shooter out of their star three, and even what Trevor Rizzo's at today. Trevor Rizzo, Dwight Howard, and Wayne Ellington, who's their, they're going to be their shooter, if you will. But so traditionally, at least I shouldn't say traditionally, but in the last few postseasons, you've had to have a shooter, which, and that's why I think Buddy Heald would have helped. That was kind of the other rumored player to be yeah. out there when I think they're still pursuing him to a point. Right. I think they're still talking about signing Dennis Schroeder back and doing a sign-and-trade type deal with him. Um, so that's where I think the Lakers are today. I think that at this point, we're starting to see teams build teams to beat Milwaukee. And I think that's kind of what the Russell, West, the Russell Westbrook trade is as well, is that that gives you a... You're, you're going to make Giannis have to beat you which obviously we saw it can happen, but I don't think Russell Westbrook is going to crack how Chris Paul did where Chris Paul looked old and tired. Russell Westbrook's never looked old or tired in his career to this point. You know, he's just that guy that's flying around the court. So that's where I think the Lakers are. I think we're kind of getting to the point where teams are looking at ways to get past the Eastern Conference at this point with... Um, the Nets and Milwaukee. So I think all the teams out west are kind of in an arms race to get to a point where they saw that Phoenix got there and got hot and was a very up-tempo team that could shoot the lights out. But when a a more physical team got in their face, they kind of collapsed. Right. And that team that the Los Angeles Lakers are playing together right now, that's about as physical as you're going to be able to get. So... It's, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited for. I'm excited to see. It's either going to be beautiful or a train wreck. So either way for us, it's going to be a lot of content. Yeah. Yeah. All right, boys. So now we get to our, I guess, the mainstay of this episode. And that is the fact that the NFL is back. The really? Packers are, once again, the show in town. And a lot has happened since the last time we took to this recording studio. Aaron Rodgers, as we said, did uh, did his part and spoke to the media last week in return for camp. Uh, we did get to touch on that a little bit, so that was pretty cool. Uh, Randall Cobb is a Green Bay Packer again. It's a terrible signing. I actually think it can work. And I have, I'm very optimistic about it, and I'll get to that in a second here. $10 million? He's restructured the contract. Still. Uh, Houston's paying a good chunk of that yet, too. So it ends up, I think, only being... I'm, I'm going to take a look at this and just confirm. Um, they converted his player bonus 
into a signing bonus. And I think it looks like the cap hit's only going to end up being about $2.6 million. Yeah, we're still paying a guy $10 million to maybe have 600 yards this year. Cool. If you get 600 yards, we're doing damn good. As I said, maybe 600 yards. I still like it, though, because I think it's, it's going to be a lot of depth. So that was actually one of the, the points I wanted to touch on was, I, I, interestingly enough, I think the wide receiver battle is going to be probably the most interesting battle in camp. Aside from maybe that two-corner spot, which I think kind of you have the advantage Eric Stokes already, just on kind of the guiding principles of of what we think Joe Barry's defense is going to be. And I'm really excited. I'm going to go to training camp tomorrow, and or release day, I guess, and kind of have some interest. You know, I'll check, follow along with my Twitter page. I'll be posting some stuff on Facebook uh, throughout the day, too. So follow along with our page there. Um to kind of get some of the updates from training camp if you haven't been out already and if you want to follow along with that. But like I said, I do think, like I said, I think that wide receiver battle is going to be really interesting because right now you've got eight, nine guys who have played pretty constructive NFL minutes. You've got, obviously, Devontae's going to be number one. We know that. Alan Lazard has a very significant role with this team. We know that. You're gonna have a really you're you know obviously Amari Rogers is gonna be there in some capacity and have a good high outcome or you'd hope so. Yeah, you're not putting him on the practice squad. You can guarantee that. But that so that's why I don't understand the Randall Cobb deal. It it's literally just to appease Aaron Rodgers. Like that's it's not right. because he's a talent. It's that he's just to appease Aaron Rodgers at this point because Amari Rodgers' main NFL comp was Randall Cobb. Mm-hmm. So we have a guy on the roster that's already Randall Cobb, and then we bring in Randall Cobb, and we're still going to pay him $2.5 million to, to either play and take time away from Amari Rogers or not play and pay, have a big cap hit on him. Well, I think, I think, yeah, the likelihood is that you're going to um, probably try to find a, a trade partner for – for one of the the three other guys, you know, between uh, Lazard, who I'm, or Funches, or or MVS. And I forgot about Devin I think Funches. Too. Uh, uh, of those three, I think Funches is probably the most likely to get traded because of his contract. Well, that so. that's what I was gonna say. Is it's actually, I, like I said, I'm very optimistic about the deal. Randall Cobb's been relatively healthy the last two seasons since he's been gone. It does, you know, the big. Obviously, the elephant in the room is that it appeases Aaron Rodgers and his his demand. Um, I think Jake Coomer would have been a, a lot cheaper choice, personally speaking, but and probably a better actually fit with this oh. way this team is. But what I would say though, I think you have a very good mentor for Amari Rodgers. I think this actually fits a pretty good role. You don't have to have immediate impact out of Amari Rodgers. Which you very likely would have anyway, like you would have that impact, but you don't have to. You have a, a veteran presence who can eat up yards in the middle. It kind of frees your outside game for Devonte and for Alan Lazard a little bit. I don't think you know with the reworked contract, it ends up not being that significant of a hit as it initially was thought. 
So if that's if two point six million dollars is what it takes to make your franchise quarterback happy, and have a valuable veteran leader, and maybe trade away that Devin Funches contract, I don't see it as anything bad. Or and and quite frankly, it really kind of puts Equinemius St. Brown and possibly Malik Taylor in a spot where you don't really need either one of them per se either. And well, I think that's what we've we needed that depth to not have to rely on Equinemia St. Brown, who couldn't get on the field last year when Devonta Adams and Alan Lazard were down. I think that if as long as we uh, everyone as long as everyone in the Packer organization agrees that Randall Cobb is there for a mentorship and a voice in the locker room, right? That it works. And for what it's worth, Randall Cobb has traditionally been a big play receiver. That in a big moment he's there. So in a playoff type game, I would trust Randall Cobb to get open. And if that's why we bring him in, great. I just don't really expect anything out of him. I I expect there to be a play this season that's a big play that he's gonna get open on mm-hmm. that might make it worth it. But to be honest, I don't necessarily expect him to be playing a whole hell of a lot. Be my yeah, I, I have to totally agree with Ramsey because um, obviously just to appease Aaron Rodgers, this is a big step. I don't, I don't really follow it. You've, you've spent so much equity in the back end of trying to get these guys up to par. Um, it makes a little bit of sense from the standpoint of leadership uh, of, of kind of hopefully maybe that he could bring these guys along faster than, than they're currently going at in the pace. But other than that, I mean, you're really, you know, you're probably stunting the growth of, of Amari Rogers. You're definitely stunting, stunting the growth of uh, St. Brown. But what uh, growth probably, does he have at this take, point? You're, He's been you there for three what? years. What growth does Equinemius St. Brown have to have yet? Well, in my opinion, he should be gone. He should have been gone last year. He should have been gone last year. He should have gone two years ago, actually, but he just happened to what, break his leg, if I remember right. And they kind right. of, yeah. they kind of just they gave him. They gave it's him a pass. It's, it's other guys, you know? It, it, it's a whole bunch of other guys that you're really stunting the growth of. And even you're taking Lazard probably out of the slot. Uh, with with this pickup, well, one thing I hope that ha- that doesn't happen is that Randall Cobb's back. Aaron is gonna m- let Randall Cobb play, or Aaron's gonna talk Randall Cobb into playing, and it's just gonna stun Amari Rogers' growth. Because I think Amari Rogers, and I think we can all agree on this, is what the Packers actually needed. Oh, without was a doubt, a speedy guy underneath. So I don't want to see. And this is what I hope happens. I hope that Randall Cobb isn't taking snaps away from Amari Rodgers because Amari Rodgers, I think, is the difference. Be- Maybe not between the s- winning the Tampa Bay game last year, but I think Amari Rodgers sure helps. Oh, without If you a have doubt. a slot guy underneath that could open up, or keep the defense honest at least, on some dump routes underneath. And that's kind of what he was known for at Clemson. I watched a lot of Amari Rodgers, and that's what he was. He well, was. And, and here's, the, here's the way I look at it is this move allows Alan Lazard to tr- truly be that number two outside guy. 
He's he is proven to be better outside. Are we sure it's not going to be Devin Funches though? Devin Funches. We don't though? even know if Devin Funches is going to be on the regular season roster at this point because of this move. Or MVS. Well, right, and MVS is your your long ball guy, and that's fine. You know, you need that guy there too, but it allows MVS to probably be your true four guy, which is what he should have been all this time. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I think I think I think Ramsey's right on it. Where you know between MVS, Funches, and and uh, Lazard, you have probably three really good options as your number three receiver. So um, I don't know. We'll see. In, in in slot, I think Al Lazard certainly has. The capability of being number two, I think he's he's your second best receiver, hands down. But I think one thing might be overlooked. You have a plethora of talent of of large receivers right now, and it's going to be hard to pick those guys because now you've slated pretty much two roster spots for two smallish slot receivers. Unless is that what they're trying to do? Are they going to run offensive sets where you're going to put Amari Rogers and Randall Cobb on the same side of the ball? You could, or you could have them both be the slot and have Lazard, Devontae opposite each other. You know what I mean? Because I that if it's me looking at trying to draw an offensive play up, right? If you had Devontae on the outside, you had Amari Rogers in the middle, and then Randall Cobb as your true slot, and then had Alan Lazard on the opposite side. Or even Alan Lazard, Amari, Randall, right. Devontae, right? So that's probably a better one-on-one guy. I, I, Go I, find I could, wide and throw MBS up to see. Yeah, I could see there being I could see there being packages you could put in for two guys that could get open for underneath routes, unlike third and three situations where you haven't been getting that push offensively. I well, I just think there's better options out there for less money. I'm I'm gonna just kind of keep playing into this though. You had to have a you have had a guy, kind of playing a very limited role like a Tyler Irvin or a Tavon Austin. This kind of allows Amari Rogers to also kind of have that motion guy role, and still have a true slot guy too. If you maybe just to have him grow, just use use his speed as his advantage too. It allows him to be a lot more dynamic in the offense where you don't have to have a wide receiver spot for a guy who's only going to be used as a motion jet sweep kind of guy. It well, makes like I said, I, Tyler Irvin as a running back. You could, I think last year technically he was a wide receiver. Technically speaking, but this year's roster probably have a running back, right? With how we have, we're nine deep at receiver already. I mean, that's the. We'll see. I, I'm really curious to see what you see at camp on tomorrow. Tomorrow with, I'm curious to see if who's taking snaps and who's. Where I guess, because I think one practice is going to say a lot about. It usually does, but usually when you go to preseason practice, you can usually you get a pretty good scope. Of you things. get a pretty good, and you can usually you know you walk there and you can tell who's the talented players and who's not the talented players. You know, so well, I, that's that's all I'd be focused on. I'd be focused on Jordan Love and the receiver battle. Like, that's I, the that's rest exactly of it, what I'm going. The rest for. of it, I don't care about. Just that's exactly what I'm going for, and. And like I even said, I mean, if you really, really look into where 
this team can be. I mean, you look at last year at one point where you were without Alan Lazard, you were without Devontae Adams at one point. And Devontae, I don't he hasn't been exactly playing 16, 17 game season. You have an extra game this season. An extra receiver who is a proven NFL guy where you're not having to rely on MVS. And this isn't like I'm not taking the the shot at MVS as so many others did last year. He's garbage. But you don't have to have him as your number one. You can kind of allow him to play that more specialized role and let him continue to build his his confidence up and, and play the role that he has carved out for himself. It allows you to not have to rely on Equinemius St. Brown, who, like I said, I don't think he should have been on the team last year. Oh, I agree. You know, one thing I had heard last week and I really wanted to touch on here was, you know, you talk about the one of the, the Aaron Rodgers things. Trent Dilfer was on the Pat McAfee show last week and said one of the most telling things to me, and I think I talked about this a little bit last week, that the wide receiver position or the quarterback position can tell everything that you need to know and tell every scout and have more knowledge and every scout, every coach on that wide receiver staff. And the fact that this wasn't just a, hey, Jake Kumaro is my dude type thing with Aaron Rodgers. This was, he truly believed that Jake Kumaro was the number two wide receiver in training camp last year. And when you bench or you cut him to have a guy who did not contribute whatsoever to that team last year, had dropped balls in the end zone, had drops for first downs, just had almost no role in Equinemius St. Brown. You have a, and you know you're, not that the contract would have been that huge of a difference, but even just on the cap hell that the Packers have been facing, I mean, Jake Coomer is a lot cheaper than Equinemius St. Brown as a draft pick. So, I, I, like I said, I just, I don't get that, and especially when you know you've had this this disgruntlement. I, I really don't get why Equinemius St. Brown was on this team last year. Nothing against Malik Taylor either, but he never really had a chance to contribute. Mm-hmm. Reggie Begleton, who was a CFL wide receiver who I had high hopes for, was on the active roster for a game and didn't do anything. Mostly the practice squad all year, right? I mean, that's right. where he had to live. I mean. So adding a proven guy is not the worst thing at that position. Uh, I think there's better it is options. For a salary, it, it is for a salary-capped strapped team. I read somewhere that they've pushed now uh, almost $30 million onto next year's cap already from this year's team. So when you talk about it in that sense, I, I really, uh, I could, I really don't agree with, uh, with Kumaro talk. There's no way he was the second best wide receiver on this team. Are we sure though? Uh, Oh, absolutely. There is absolutely no way that he was the second best wide receiver on that team. No way. And if you believe that, uh, you better go back and watch tape because I don't know about that. I mean, um, and in, tra- in training camp last season. So that's talking. Alan Lazard took big steps last year during season. So we go back to training camp last year. Well, at at the time. I'm I'm gonna say Alan Lazard developed into what Jake Kumro was. A very willing blocker downfield. Yep. A very good blocker downfield. Jake Kumro had probably, I would say, the second best footwork behind Devonta Adams. 
I, you know, I don't think about. I don't know if I'd say Jay Kumro was number two, but I think you can make an argument he was three or four, probably. I I could live with three and a half, four, but there's no way he was number two. Uh, the guy, the guy uh-huh. went somewhere else to Buffalo, and he didn't even come off the practice squad. Come on, guys, what do you? I mean, what are we talking about? I don't know. I don't think Alan Lazard's all that great. I, I think we're overvaluing who we currently have on the roster. I think that having arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time throw to you makes you a lot better than what you actually are. So no, do, I 100%, I 100% agree with you. And so, I think that furthers the argument of Jay Kumaro and, and what his actual talent was and who was assessing that talent. And there's a reason that, you know, this is just another – Example of why, uh, you know, the 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 franchise went in a different direction than what Aaron was thinking. That that right there is an, a a great example of it. You just said it. See, I like I said, I I very much disagree. I think watching tape. I mean, I I'm not I'm not Mason here, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that I am. But what I would say is watching the amount of tape that I have and, and watching the little things, going to training camp four or five times a year or even more than that some years, you see a lot of those little things that Jay Kumro just did so – he was so fundamental. And, yeah, you're absolutely right, Justin. He probably was boosted immensely by having Aaron Rodgers throw to him. And maybe that's why he doesn't stick on elsewhere. But what I would say is the role he had in Green Bay, like I said, very, very willing blocker, very, very talented blocker. And like I said, that footwork he had was second and none, except maybe, like, I mean, except maybe the guy ahead of him on, in numerically in the, the roster, which was number 17. It was on a whole different level than any other guy on that team except Devontae Adams. And that's unbiasedly, I'm a Jay Kumro fan, but unbiasedly, the dude was on a different level when it came to all the small things that make you get open and make you be a NFL receiver. Well, really, at the end of the day, kind of you were getting it before, Eric, I think that it doesn't necessarily... If you're less talented but Aaron likes to throw to you, I think that makes up for that maybe some athletic gift that he wasn't gifted, right? Like, he was a four, five guy. I mean, he wasn't anything special, but so was Larry Fitzgerald and so was like Wes Walker. I'm not saying he was either one of those guys, but if your quarterback likes to throw to you, I don't think that there's any that that Aaron should pick his receivers to a point. But do we not do we not like going back and watching the film, do we not get that Aaron wasn't actually throwing the ball to him like he was not creating separation for Aaron to have a window to throw the ball I think the film disagrees with that by the way for the record for the record so for you to I I do not agree with that I I think the film will show you exactly what I'm talking about which is the exact reason why they let him walk I mean you're talking about Alan Lazard who is probably a step and a half slower than Jay Kumaro at a 4-6-7-40 but he's creating separation and he's strong enough to fight block or to fight defenders off to get separation. 
I think that's the exact reason why why the franchise went in a different direction. It wasn't despite Aaron Rodgers. No, I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying I don't get it. When you had, when you compare him very specifically to Equinemius St. Brown, I don't get it. When you compare sure. him to Malik Taylor, I don't get it. Sure, but you're talking about guys that are fighting for the fifth spot and and practice squad when you just said he was the second best receiver on the team. That's those aren't my words. That was what Trent Dilfer said. That's what was said that Aaron believed. That was the quote that was used. And do I think he was the second best? Probably not. I'm not going to say he was, but I think he was better than guys that were there and would have made a very meaningful difference throughout that season last year. When did James Jones come back? James Jones was 2016, if I'm not he mistaken. Came back? Right. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, it was, it was 2016. I thought it was later than that. Because 2017, 2018 were not playoff teams. 2019 was the first year of LeFleur. James Jones, Hoodie James Jones was the playoff team. Well, was that when Rodgers got hurt? No, that 2017 was. 2017 was the year that Rodgers uh, broke the collarbone again. Okay. Okay. Anyways. That's, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm really baffled that this world is still talking about Jake Kumaro and, and how much this guy means to what is happening in Green Bay, Wisconsin on August, what is the second of 2021 in the Aaron Rodgers drama. And it's, I mean, Jake Kumaro, a guy who got cut by Cincinnati, he barely made the practice squad for Buffalo. Uh, he was a willing blocker and, and got cut by Green Bay. And this guy is, you know, the around. He's not the center, but he's around the center of what what has happened here in Green Bay over the summer. So it's just it's baffling that this. You know, Which why we're why we're talking that. about that around the center. Aaron made a comment talking about past Packer players. That got the, his words disrespected by the organization, which I hundred percent disagree with. All the disagree? players, all the players, they missed on two. They missed on Micah Hyde and Casey Hayward. The rest of them were past the peak, and you get rid of people a year early than a year late. And yes, I the fact that so, what makes me a little nervous going forward is that that's what Aaron's thought is. That the Packers owed these guys something. And I would say if it was me as a general manager, every single one of those guys, I'd probably make the same move. Like I said, I wanted I would have wanted to keep Micah Hyde. I think that he was a difference maker, playmaker on defense. Even Casey Hayward, at the point that they let him go, I probably been on the same boat. So Micah Hyde, and I probably would have kept Charles Woodson another year. Mm-hmm. But just the point at that point in the league, you weren't paying safeties. And they kind of he was transitioning from that slot corner to more of a safety role, right. so you didn't pay those guys. So that makes me a little nervous to even think that this is what Aaron is thinking that he knows that these guys still had gas in the tank. And I really think yeah, they I think, did it. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with with everything you just said. Uh, I think the you know in even 
his biggest part of the argument is is uh you know the leadership and, and the character and and what that does to a locker room and how that could carry you for look the packers they have to make tough decisions every year and and to pay a guy like Brian Bulaga who played I don't I don't know what it was eight games over two years or three years a 10 million dollar salary in the game of football that's just not realistic anymore or so clay matthews he, who went to the rams and just was kind of there like a body on defense who right. was who honestly when green bay cut him they cut him a year late right they hang they hung on to him for an extra year they probably should have cut him the year before that he already lost that snap right and he was making Twelve, thirteen million dollars yeah, a year, or something exactly. crazy like that. You just you can't if you're not going to get the production, and you show it over time that you're not going to get that production. You got to cut bait, and that's just the reality of the business. Uh, I, I some of it, some of the argument that he has there is is completely off base. So well, but I, I want to give a shout out to a guy I work with uh, named Dale. He had said he I makes Dale. a. Yeah, hi, Dale. Uh, he made a really excellent <laughs> point. Um, talking about how Aaron Rodgers faces the same reality that all Hall of Fame long career quarterbacks do. Same thing Tom Brady faced in New England. The same thing that Brett Favre faced at the end of his career. The same thing that, insert name here, probably Peyton Manning had to some extent, was that if you're going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, you're going to have probably a 15, 20-year career. The Hall of Fame quarterback is really only... The only career that might be longer is probably a Hall of Fame kicker or punter. So when you have that kind of... a, You know, when you're playing... Talking that kind of longevity by comparison to every other position, you're going to lose a lot of good teammates. That's... Be, whether you can pay them, like a Micah Hyde or Casey Hayward who I think Micah Hyde probably would have shown the brightest. That was the one I think we whipped That on. I think makes no sense to me. Um, you can make that argument for Casey Hayward, just how successful he was after he left. But he was also playing slot corner right. at that time, right. too. And at the time on the roster, we had, what, three slot corners? Right. No, I I, I understand so completely. That's... But when you're, you know, and, and just to... Just to play devil's advocate, I'm not saying I'm agreeing with him because I, I definitely do agree more on the side of Dale and you guys than I do Aaron Rodgers on this one specific thing. But when you see yourself, and, and Aaron's not stupid. He you know he looks in the mirror. He knows what he is. He knows what he has done to this organization, uh, or for this organization, organization I should say. Um, when you have, when you look at you know legacy, and you see these guys who were so integral to the success of the you know of a Super Bowl team and they kind of all just got quietly bounced very unceremonial you know Donald Driver was really the only one who probably had the proper send off if you will and even that was controversial at the time if you remember and I'm not saying that they the Packers were wrong to do what they did they're following the Patriot way which which is you keep the guys young you keep them you know you, like you said Ramsey you walk them out the door a year early rather than a year late. That's the nature of the business. That's how you succeed in the business and stay relevant for 15, 20 years. 
but as a player, when you're, you know, when these guys are your buddies, these guys are your brothers, and I, I can see his side of it. I don't agree with it per se in that one specific instance, but I definitely see his side of it. I don't even see his side of it. They're not. They were a bunch of players that weren't playing up to contract. I mean, like Justin just said, Clay Matthews was making like at the point where he got released was. It was over nine million a year. Oh, it was. I, like I said, I I so, totally agree with you guys on all this. And so that we're talking about a guy like Aaron, who we've kind of, they've kind of come out and said that not he's not really getting say, but they're kind of listening to what he's saying. But if this is what you're saying, like you listed, he does have like ten or twelve guys, mm-hmm. and they missed on two. And I could argue that the one other one they missed on, Casey Hayward, wasn't worth the money at the time. So they missed on one out of ten. So you're talking they have a ninety percent hit rate, and then that's what you're going to bitch about. Like that's why you know, and I've always been for like player empowerment. Player empowerment, and you should probably listen to your star player, and you should probably keep your star quarterback involved in what's going on. But that goes to show you too why you're a star quarterback, not a general manager. Right. So. Well. I guess I'll, I'll play just a little bit of devil's advocate because uh, there was a question in there about how much say he wants or whatever. And it's probably my good friend there, Rob Domoski, who I absolutely do not like uh, as a reporter. He's probably a great guy on the other side. But I will defend Aaron a little bit when he said, I don't want say the final say or per se he said i just want to sit at the table to to kind of give my opinion and and to kind of see what uh the higher ups are really feeling about a certain guy and and maybe i could sway their decision in one way or the other but uh you know he never really came across to saying that he wants final say or or a a, a bigger piece of the pie or 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 what have you you know so I will I will back off a little bit, but you're right. A ninety percent hit rate is not a lot to to squawk about, uh, or to complain about, especially when you're making thirty seven million dollars a year. So. I do think Aaron does have a just statement in the fact that the Green Bay Packers organization has not necessarily put the talent around him that he's probably deserved in his career, and I would probably agree with that. I think that they've kind of had underwhelming draft classes to say the least over the last five or six years. You know, we look at the, even what the AJ Dillon draft class, Jordan Love. So two years ago, that, that draft is kind of turning out to be a little bit of a, a big whiff just across the board. I mean, Jordan Love hasn't done anything yet. AJ Dillon was the third running back on there on the team's roster. And you had a blocking tight end who, didn't play. So, I mean, your top three draft picks are three players that haven't really come around yet. So I think that that's something that Aaron, I guess I'd give him credit for too, is that I could see why he's frustrated because that is, I can only imagine working for an organization that brings in talent that's less than par. So... Well, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna say it though too. I mean, one very telling thing, when he points to that one, that you know that that list of players, and it's something I think Ramsey that you've actually said, and and I know you may not 
agree with his specific take on on that side of it. But what I would agree with him on is that it spans both regimes. Well, that's and, because the regime's the same fucking thing. Well, right. But we replaced I, Ted Thompson with Ted Thompson's disciple. That's why this is how it is. Right. And that, that's what I'm because saying. Because Mark is, Murphy's a fucking clown. Like, this whole thing goes back to Mark Murphy and being a fucking joke. Like, Mark Murphy needs to go. He's old senile and too worried about Titletown District, not necessarily worried about actually putting championship trophies in a case. So, yeah, that's why it does span different time zones. Like, that's, it's the same person. It's Ted Thompson over again. And Ted Thompson's a trash GM. We've talked about that before. So, yeah, you replace a trash GM with another trash GM that can't figure out how to play to a star quarterback. Like, yeah, of course. Well, then that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I am wholeheartedly agreeing with you. That, that's my point here. I know. I just, every time I talk about Mark Murphy, I'm fired up because I got the fucking clown. Well, I hope you listen to our podcast one time. That's a strong take. I like that. That was good. That, Mark Murphy. And I hope he listens to our tel- podcast so I can have a conversation with him because I would tel- tell him he's a fucking joke. The telltale sign of Mark Murphy and, and really where <laughs> we're at right now was when he was looking at the Gudikins tire. And then when he looked at the LaFleur hire, and this is not a shot at Matt LaFleur, because Matt LaFleur has actually been very, very outspoken on and very transparent on how even he doesn't know half the shit that's going on. And the fact that he didn't know that they were about to draft Jordan Love or that they hadn't been having these conversations with Aaron Rodgers and things like that is baffling to me. Because what happened before, if you guys remember correctly, they hired Brian Gutekunst. Right before they had fired Mike McCarthy, they hired he, they had one year together, right? So there was a time when Mark Murphy took to the podium saying that they're both going to answer to me. I'm going to be the guy. And it's like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? What on earth power trip bullshit are you on right now where these two are going to have every conversation with you and you're going to be the judge, jury, and executioner? And then Mike McCarthy stalls out in Green Bay, which was probably about two years too late. We're being honest. Well, right. And then you hire Matt LaFleur, and then you don't give Matt LaFleur apparently that same courtesy that you're going to have with Mike McCarthy when, I mean, the jury's still out on him because we still, we haven't seen a year without Aaron Rodgers. We're going to be only in year three. But just the fact that your head coach isn't even involved in your football decisions right now. What the fuck is that? It's because Mark Murphy's a fucking joke. Dude, he's too worried about putting up a title town district and putting up condos by Lambo to make the team more money. Like, it's not... This isn't... He goes... He's not a football guy. He's a businessman. And you have a businessman running... He's a businessman that played football yeah. and got a football job. And now he's this guy that we can't get rid of because he's making this board of directors of the Green Bay Packers so much money that it, they're not getting rid of him. Like, and that's the... We've said this before on the podcast is you want to talk about what's really going on. It's that this Green Bay Packers team is being run like a Fortune 500 company, not a professional football team. They're not making professional football team moves. They're playing it safe. Every opportunity they have even the whole Aaron Rodgers thing, they've played this thing incredibly safe because they need to make their money. They need to sell their season tickets. Well, they don't need to sell their season tickets, but they need to sell Titletown district stuff. I mean, it's just an absolute joke on how this team is kind of being run right now. And then the other thing that's ridiculous is that the most fans don't have the forethought to think about that. 
like, oh, we're fine just kind of doing this or doing whatever. Oh, we're going to back the Packers because... Oh, they're the Packers. Yeah, they're I the, love Packers. the Packers. I, we're not going to question what the Packers do, but look around what they're doing in Green Bay. Just pay attention. Go drive down by Lambeau. Go do it. Do it tomorrow. They're not focusing on football. Well, and that's, that's what I want to say, is one of the more frustrating parts of this whole saga is what they have done. And I, 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 at this point, after the Aaron Rodgers comments, I 100% believe that they are the ones who leaked the, the whole saga, knowing Aaron wasn't going to talk, that Aaron's sources, that Aaron's camp wasn't going to say anything, that Aaron was going to keep everybody tight-lipped until the very end. I 100% believe that. And you pissed off half of your franchise, your fans, where you have pitted them against your three-time MVP, your Super Bowl MVP, your Super Bowl champion quarterback, your surefire next Hall of Famer. But they've already, they, that's what they've done. They've split the, the, they've split the fan base in half. Right. Half the people are signed with Aaron because they're smart enough to realize what's going, actually going on, and the other half just blindly follow the Packers because they don't and know. it's the same, they did the same bullshit with Randall Cobb coming back. And I, I'm very pro Randall Cobb coming back, but it's the same people who are calling Aaron Rodgers, Karen Rodgers, talking about all the drama, that, he, that he's the problem are the same ones who are over the moon happy, dusting off the rental copters, just get them out of the cobwebs. But the other thing we're talk about too is, you know how bad this is going to look at the end of the day if Jordan Love can't play? If Jordan Love does not become a solid starting NFL quarterback, it's going to just reflect this whole last two years since he's been drafted is going to be looked at with such poor taste because... They've decided that they're not going to let their face, their face, their franchise, be the face of the franchise because no one's bigger than the Green Bay Packers. Well, and that's that's the other thing. And, and Justin, I know you're, you're we're not getting you in here, but that's the other thing is just I mean, this was a Ted Thompson thing that kind of always baffled me and baffled a lot of fans. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the whole wide receiver battle is they are so loyal to draft picks. When you have a guy, if you're thinking like a you know, football brain and you're trying to run a team, when you have guys who are just as good for less money, like a Jake Kumro over an Equinemia Sam Brown, if that's your comparison at the end of the day, give me Jake freaking Kumro every day of the week for less money and you're going to probably get better outcome. But we have to draft and develop. And that's, that's hindsight. That's the a lot of that is hindsight now. But it's uh, not at though. the time. At the time, it was a different story. It's hindsight now. When, when you're talking about Jay Kumaro and Economius St. Brown, that that we just had that argument. Well, I the, will. Say I've been this. saying this all the time. I will. I will say this. We're we're bitching about Mark Murphy and we're bitching about Titletown District. What exactly? Are we asking, or what are you guys arguing about that you want Mark Murphy to do differently as opposed to what he's doing now? Because if you don't agree with the decisions that he's making with Titletown, what decisions about football makes you believe they haven't that had it a, would be better? They haven't had a good draft class in five years. But that's uh, they haven't. Though. To, 
Okay, so we're not putting time in a scouting. Right, but just let me, that's not Mark Murphy's job. Yes, but Mark Murphy's the guy who puts those people in place, is he not? Well, sure. Okay, so he's not doing his job because he's too focused on title town trying to get the draft in Green Bay. And well, I, that's fine. Talking... If you want to make money and you want to build title town district and you want to do that, that's fine. But don't be the president of the Green Bay Packers then. Go be the president of title town district. Go be the president. Go work for the Green Bay City Board. Let's not, we're, that's the thing with the Packers is that we're, we're just accepting the fact that they can't draft. They draft mediocre. They draft safe. They draft safe picks that are going to be solid NFL pros. But when was the last time we had a truly exciting draft pick outside of what, Devontae Adams? Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander? Jair I mean, Alexander. So we've had two? Two in five years? You've, had, you've drafted David Bakhtiari, who was a top two. But that's been, what, uh, 10 years ago now? I'm just saying. That's what I'm saying. So what? five years, five years we've had a handful of truly transcendent talent, and we're not – the Green Bay Packers as a whole are too focused on trying to make this team money instead of focusing on trying to win championships. And I don't think that, like I've said before – You're getting – like I don't get it. You're getting to the tournament. What moves you guys – if you guys are going to sit here and tell me that you think keeping Jake Kumaro is going to put you over the top, to winning a championship, you both are delusional in 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 the Kumaro hype. Like that, that's not. I that's not have, a championship. Did I say Jake Kumaro is going to win a championship? Is that no, something that's in my mouth? No. Like what move? What move are you guys possibly looking at? That, that how many draft picks did they miss over ten years? The Jordan that, Love that's pick. Gonna win. Let's go back to and Jordan what, Love. What what would Mark Murphy have done? To change that. Putting people in positions that actually know what the fuck they're doing. We drafted they Ted Thompson. They made it to the tournament. Okay. How, well, many, how many trophies How many trophies went in the case? We go over this every f***ing time. If we're not putting <laughs> trophies in the case, the season's a flop. The, the exception... Okay, so then it 31 is called, other f***ing GMs should be fired every year. It's called title town. 31 other f***ing presidents no. and owners should give up. No. That's the, like, think because about the there's, concept. Yes, there is different expectations for different teams, right? The expectation for the Cincinnati Bengals is different from the expectation of the Green Bay Packers. Is it why? not? Why? Okay. Why? Because why? Why? that's how it is. Yeah, why? The Green Bay Packers, that's it's how called... it is? Is it called... That's your argument? Is what's, that's how it is? What's Green Bay Come called? Come on, give me a... Title Town? Is Green Bay called Title Town or not? Is that the nickname that we what? have? Is okay, that Pittsburgh okay. should have fired everybody last year. They should have, because right? that's been okay. a dumpster fire of a team. should have fired, fired Belichick. At least, at least Belichick's Belichick. been putting trophies in the case. Uh, Kansas City should have fired everybody Andy last Reed's year. Andy Reid's putting trophies in the San case. San Francisco should have fired everybody last year. San Francisco, if Jimmy Garoppolo right? doesn't miss like, one throw, they have a Super Bowl against a, Kansas City. a silly argument. Right, but we're, as Green Bay okay. Packer fans, I'm, we're accepting mediocrity. That's all I'm saying. Here's what I'll say, Justin. I'm going to answer your question. We're accepting NFC Championship games. But they lose them one in five. Probably should. We probably should have kept Jay Kumaro because he would have. He would have. He would have got us eight yards closer in in the final minutes of a game. I never said that. Here's what I'll say to you, Justin. And this is something I've thought about long and hard, and over the last week, Um, one move. And this is this is kind of how. In my opinion, the butterfly effect of what one move can do. So let's say, let's say we go Eric's route, or Aaron's route for that matter, of keeping Jay Kumaro, releasing 
Equinemy of Sam Brown. You've probably got about a $2 million difference there, right? Is that, is that a fair assessment? Okay, sure. So let's just say the season plays out exactly how it did. Let's just say that it's, it, and, and it turns out to be inconsequential, which for all intents and purposes it very well could have been. Um, I'm not going to, you know, the only thing I would say is that maybe having a second trusted receiver in crunch time of that last year, eight, you know, that first and goal from the eight-yard line, maybe Aaron doesn't go to Devontae three straight plays. Maybe. I'm, I'm not going to point to that. Like I said, I'm going to go very inconsequential. Nothing else changes from that moment or from this season. What I would say, though, you have $2 million extra in salary cap, right? So we looked at and we discussed pretty in-depth on this show the cornerback situation of going to get a guy like a Patrick Peterson or any number of guys they could have gotten for maybe one or two million more dollars over spending six million dollars on Kevin King. That's one move right there that is a butterfly effect from maybe listening to your quarterback or maybe listening to a fan base or maybe even kind of having just having that conversation. It's not going to be the end-all be-all. It might not win a championship this year. Kevin King is probably going to be the third cornerback on this team. Maybe he's the second true cornerback because they're going to use them differently in, in this whole different concept. Who I don't know that right now. But what, I'm, what I would say, and I'm not even going to, I mean, the Titletown District, it needed to happen in Green Bay because if we even talk about 20 years ago where this franchise was when they built the atrium, when they built the Hall of Fame, when they built the, sta- you know, the stadium tours that they do now, this franchise needed that to happen because when they were only open for business 10, 11 Sundays a year, they were on the verge of flopping out, and that's in 2000 after they won the Super Bowl five years prior. So I'm not going to say Mark Murphy's an idiot. He's a f-ing clown. I have questioned some of his judgment, especially when it comes to, like I said, this power trip that happened with Mike McCarthy and Brian Gutekind's type situation. I, I think that there have been some questionable personnel choices. I, I, and I know this is also on Brian Gutekind's too. I don't get the hire of Joe Barry, another retread defensive coordinator, who when you could have probably went with the younger guy who's fresh upstart with energy that matches Matt LaFleur's. I, I'm, I think there's a lot of small things you can point to, though, football-wise, that can that all kind of comes back to when you point to the the structure that they talked about publicly that questions the football brain of Mark Murphy. I, I so my I guess one of my other things that we're sitting here talking about it. We are running back the same exact team last year and running it back this year, and running basically the same exact team the year before that. So we've had three teams in a row that couldn't get it done because they've got beat by better teams in the NFC Championship game. So we're just going to keep running that same team back. That makes no sense. Tampa Bay is going to get better. The, the NFC in general is going to be better. The Green Bay Packers are lucky that they play in a division with the Lions and the Bears and the Vikings who have been basically a dumpster fire for the last decade. The Vikings have a, a few decent spots here and there, and the Bears have too. But... They've neither one of those teams have been extraordinarily good when the Packers have been on any of these runs. 
So, sure. I mean, has Mark Murphy done some good things? Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that, but I do think he's a joke. That if we're just fine with bringing back the same team and not trying to improve on anything, I think that that makes me want to question if you're what your true intentions are. And that's where we're at. I'm questioning where the true intentions are. And personally, in Green Bay, with uh, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the last 30 years, we've went to three Super Bowls, one, two. That is an unacceptable stat. And the amount of Hall of Fame caliber players that we've had come through here is not acceptable, in my opinion. And I think that people as a fan base need to say, hey, we need to do something different. And, I mean, we're just accept- – we're, we're okay with being 10-6, and 10-7 and seven now. That, that's just what we're okay with. And if we go – if we're overachieve, great. If we underachieve, oh, well, we'll get it next year. It doesn't matter because we have a 60-year waiting list on our season tickets. So – I think I just, like I said, I'm questioning where people like Mark Murphy, what changes are you trying to make to get better every single year? It seems like you're just pulling out retreads all over the place. I, I will end, I will end in this, with this is, uh, I will touch on what you said, Eric. You're absolutely right. All this title stuff, all this title town stuff absolutely needed to happen. It's either grow or die, yeah. And that and that's how the NFL works. Uh, that's how any every NFL city. I mean, even look at the Bears; they're exploring the opportunity to get out of Soldier Field and and move to the suburbs and, and kind of grow their brand. Um, so that absolutely had to happen. Uh, I think he's done a great job in that aspect of it. And the the last thing I'm gonna say. It is with any sports franchise, uh, the the last thing you want is to have an owner or an owner type of guy uh, kind of meddling with what's going on. Uh, and if you look at the debacle, there's a prime example that sits in Dallas about what that could be. Uh, if he starts mixing and meddling his hands into what the daily operations of what actual football in football talent and how that happens in acquiring that talent. If he starts meddling in that, that could turn to a disaster for a long, long time. Look, Green Bay loves a winner. We all love a winner. And we've won a hell of a lot of games. And I get it, Ramsey. I love your notion of if you don't win a championship, it doesn't matter. I get it. But that that realistically is not our way of doing it. We are going to develop and continuously win. And every so often, we're going to win one. The Packers are due, and maybe A-Rock can get us over the top. That's how I'm going to end this. I I just want to say one quick thing here. We'll transition in a second. I think you said it yourself, though, Justin, when, when you have that person meddling in those conversations and meddling in that business, it is less than ideal. But I think the writing's always been on the wall that I think we've had seen that. And and he was very upfront about that, like I had pointed to, with the Gutekunst hiring, that he was going to be kind of the, the end-all, be-all between the football head coach and the 
and the GM. And I think that's very much a problem. And I, like I said, I think you're seeing signs of that. And, and even kind of his comments on that we saw in the Rogers situation and, and calling it, what did he say, an interesting dude or something, something stupid. You either have to be all in, like you said, and, and you know, kind of maybe be that, that voice in that room and be that cutthroat owner like a, like a Robert Kraft or an Arthur Blank, or you've got to sit way outside of that conversation like you wish Jerry Jones would. So that's kind of where we're at with the situation. Uh, to transition, I'm going to ask you guys, you know, for when I go to practice tomorrow, what do you think I should watch for? What do you want me to provide to you guys while, while you guys are slaving away at work? I ain't the only Not thing. Me. Not me. I'll be at Sweetgrass, baby. I'll be golfing. But, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Ramsey. I think the only thing that really is of interest is what Jordan Love does. The rest of the roster is yeah. basically like a set of reach out from last year. It's not like yeah. any real major roster moves have happened. I mean, Eric Stokes, like we kind of are anticipating, yep. is going to be cornerback number two. Kevin King's probably be number three. That's kind of the anticipation. The rest of the roster is pretty much retread with the exception of the wide receiver position too. Even the wide yep. receiver positions don't overly matter. Once you start getting past number three, those guys are kind of like I was talking about earlier with Randall Cobb. He could have four big plays this year. So really outside of the top three receivers, it doesn't overly matter. Between Devontae, Alan Lazard, and whoever we decide between Funches, Amari Rogers, or Randall Cobb, it's going to be that probably third guy that's going to see a lot of downs. So the rest of those receivers even aren't overly interesting. I mean, it's, it's going to be probably the most interesting battle, like you were saying, because that's probably where the most depth and most equal talent is. But I think the only thing that I personally would care about is how, what Jordan Love does. All right. Justin? Yeah, I think uh, since Ramsey took it, I think that's really the uh, the first and foremost question. Obviously, everybody wants to to know that. It's the biggest question, undoubtedly. But I, I, I'll step off of, of what Ramsey said, and I'm going to go in a, a, a different direction. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers uh, has spoken glowingly of this guy. Um, it's our new center, Myers. Uh, I, I really, you know, the pads come on tomorrow. They're going to get to bang around. I'm interested to see what he does uh, uh, against a pass rush. Uh, and and kind of seeing maybe if you could tell if he if he's calling out the protections for the offensive line or if Aaron's still kind of you know doing that for him and he's just got to worry about getting Aaron the ball you know there's a a lot of steps there so that would be one thing that I'm looking for. All right, sounds good, boys. And and as I'm tweeting, like I said, if you're listening to this episode, uh, I'll also probably put a, a bonus thing on Facebook. Uh, so follow along with our Facebook page. Follow along with me on Twitter. We'll be live at training camp in some capacity tomorrow, and afterwards probably a little bit of a breakdown. So uh, stay stay tuned for that. We finish off the episode with what we always do, and what are we rooting for this coming week? Ramsey? Uh, the Dixieland 250, which we will be attending tomorrow night. We will. Time adjusts. He's probably going to go for three in a row. So that'll be uh, – that's what I'm rooting for. Our boy Ty to pull another one out. Maybe we get to – Maybe see Ty tomorrow, maybe 
try to get them on the pod. Yeah, we. I mean, I think we have some awesome opportunity that there'll be two Cup guys there tomorrow. Uh, Eric Almarola and William Byron coming to Wisconsin to race the WIR for the Dixieland 250, uh, sponsored by Gandrud. Shout out former Megan's employer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so that'll be really cool to see if Ty can, once again, like he did last year, outlast Johnny Sauter, who's coming back, who had a very strong car last year. If he can outlast the two cup guys coming in, uh, William Byron making his first appearance at WIR ever. And this is, I mean, this race is very traditionally a, a big draw. I mean, like I said, Kyle Busch was there last year. Uh, Mark Martin's won this race historically as when he was in the Cup Series. Big You've trickle. had a lot of big winners come through this race, so uh, hopefully we get some content out of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get there a little early and see what we can do. Uh, so stay tuned to our Facebook page for that. Uh, I'm gonna kind of piggyback off that between uh, Red Hot Milwaukee Brewers first place team and the Dixieland 250. Justin. Uh, first, I would like to say thanks for the invite, boys. I totally would have came, but you uh, ditched me once again. Tickets are still on sale. Uh, General admission. Secondly, no, not now. Screw you guys. Tickets Secondly, are still on sale. I mean, Justin. we can't get you to come to the studio. I'm gonna root, I didn't. I'm going to root for one of the the best races um, uh, on the NASCAR schedule, and that's Watkins Glen. Uh, I hope that a Hendrick guy proves proves uh, Ramsey wrong. It, it, it just to start, and he, and he walks away. Looks feels like a Kyle Larson win waiting to happen. I mean, That's we it. can't get you to the podcast. I don't think getting you to drive a half hour further south is uh, going to happen. Well, I was I was I was going to go see the modified boys in Seymour, and uh, that fell through. So, well, thanks uh, for I the had invite. an open night, but I had an open night, but you know, you guys ditched me again. So, well, Justin, here's here's. here's I know it's it's last minute, but I'll be in matter. I'll it be in jail tomorrow. Now. Hey, I'll I be in jail tomorrow. Pity. I'll be in jail tomorrow afternoon, Justin. If you want to ride down, tickets are still on sale. No. General admission. No. I'm, like I said, I already committed to golfing down up in Escanaba. So doesn't start. That's, that's, that's gonna be an, uh, an all day thing for you. Yeah, that's gonna go till six o'clock. Oh uh, right? yeah, it's like three hours away. We we start at uh, noon. So you're done by so it's three. eighteen holes. Three hours back no, is six, so that five, means you could make it. Five. It's going to be a fiver. And then three hours back. So on, seven, o- seven, o'clock, seven o'clock, the race yeah. starts at seven. You know, the the actual main event with, doesn't start until like eight. There's that whole on with dad thing, too. So. Oh, so you, you weren't going to go anyways. So now you're throwing a bitch I was. fit. You're throwing I was. a bitch I fit, and you weren't even going to come. In fact, I budgeted vacation for it, so what? All right. All right, well, anyways. <laughs> well, with that, on that swimming positive note, we wrap this thing up. Episode 34 in the books. Like I said, stay tuned to our Facebook page in the next couple days here. A lot of big stuff coming. And I'm Eric. That's Ramsey. That's Justin. Episode 34 in the books. We are out. See ya. Bye. Salud.